Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. As always, please like, subscribe, share, and leave us a review. In this episode, we begin to discuss the history of Gnosticism and give further insight into our interview with podcaster Miguel Connor of Aeon Byte. We also mention Elaine Pagels and her work on the Gnostic Gospels, the Heresy Hunters, and the discovery at Nag Hammadi. We also discuss Gnostic concepts of spirits entering matter, freeing the spiritual sparks, and we give the listeners a little quiz at the end that we will pay off in the next episode. Enjoy. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. sip of water go ahead i'm gonna just close my door hey fellow gnt tears those of us who like our spirituality with a twist um, we are doing something a little different. We've been talking about um, a, a little series we're trying to do on styles of meditation, giving practical meditations that are classically rooted for people to try. So we did our bits on Zen, but now we're doing something a little different. So we decided to like take a little hiatus from that. Uh, uh, you know, got to keep the conversation lively, talk about something a little bit different, and then we'll come on back to those things. Uh, but for now, we want, yep. On that note, Eric, for, for those people who listened to last week's episode that I titled Chatting on a Boat at Night, also known uh-huh. as the Yasin Kana, there was a meditation in there that Eric did briefly. I think, I, I think Eric, you'll go back at some point here in the next few weeks, you'll maybe do a more proper guided. So he'll, he'll do a more proper guided meditation and we'll pop it up on here for folks. It took a few minutes, not a long thing, but we did ask people try it. And if anybody did try it, or whenever you listen to this episode and you, and you did try it, um, if you want to send us some feedback, we'd certainly love to hear it. You know, you could certainly send us a message on, you know, you could DM us on Instagram, you know, gin and Tantra, uh, or if you want to send us an email at gin and Tantra at gmail.com, we would certainly be uh, open. You know, we'd be getting a little bit more feedback anyways, and it's been nice actually to connect with y'all. So uh, definitely, definitely appreciate it. So, yeah. Yeah, I know there were little bits and pieces of that thing. Like I did read from, uh, you know, the thing itself to describe, you know, in, in its own words, you know, what they advised to do. But there were little tiny things. And it occurred to me when we were done talking about that, I really hadn't even talked about like the positioning of the body, which I think, I think that it's more often recommended that the person even lays down. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff would be done kind of in the sitting position. And I realized when we were done with the episode, I was like, episode, I was like, oh, you know, I didn't even say that part. But you did, you know, but you said you're going to. 
you said more you'd go formal back and, version will do yeah yeah you said you'd do it as and we'll do it as a short you know like that'll just be that podcast will or that recording will just be that meditation it won't be anything else, so. yeah i think we're there's a kind of idea we have in general just to do little what we were calling like shots of spirit <laughs> yeah and that's kind <laughs> of like our gin and tantra imagery again yeah where we would do yeah. like a you know 10 minute 10 12 15 minute or less just short podcasts you know probably eric by himself or me by myself and just you know to add some extra content so that's coming up and i'm ready to actually start doing one of those this weekend so um they'll be up and you guys will see it and you know all that yeah 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 i think it's it's uh it's something we had in the in the uh, an idea of doing for a while and yes. to do it around uh, this kind of stuff is good even these little meditations kind of describing and walking yeah. through it is good i think it lends yeah. itself perfectly to that actually yeah awesome okay yep yeah. thanks daniel so um all right, so we're going to do something a little bit different, which is really to do, a, I, it's kind of a commentary on our interview with Miguel Connor, but as Daniel was pointing out in the pre-show conversation, it's not even really a commentary, it's a little bit more of a exploration of Gnosticism, because we had on Miguel Connor, who is the host of this, I mean, I, what I think is a really, really great podcast called Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio. Yeah, the, and, the yeah. episodes we did, Eric, uh, one of them was called Aeon Bite with Miguel Connor. And the second one was Gnostic History of the Universe. So uh, you could check those out. We dropped those uh, right around December of last of 2021. Yeah, no, we had like the holidays. So we didn't get back to do this right away. And we actually wanted to do some stuff on meditation in the way that we we're doing anyway. So we're kind of doubling back to do this. Um, and you know, the, the, the show is, is, is really great. So I could certainly recommend checking it out. I've got lots of, uh, you know, uh, hours of enjoyment and uh, enlightenment and epiphany listening to uh, those episodes. He mostly does interviews mm -hmm. and um, it's got a pretty wide range of guests. So I think the whole idea of the thing is about, you know, Gnosticism as a thing, but it, it really sprawls and it goes into all of these other subject matters too. And he is a, you know, very thoughtful guy, good sense of humor um you know and so anyways i can really strong i can really strongly recommend the, recommend the podcast i really have enjoyed it over the years um learned a lot and kind of discovered new people even but we're going to try to comment on uh gnosticism overall because that was the main subject matter his main subject matter and what we yeah. talked about in those episodes actually i found the podcast itself searching for elaine pagels who's one of the real experts on gnosticism and probably a a little bit of a, a, a to be aspired to sometime in the offing guests for this little podcast venture too. So we got to reach out to Elaine Pagels and see if we can get her to come on, on, come on and talk about herself and Gnosticism. So that's how I found it. I know you've certainly read her too, right, Daniel? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. She has uh, this thing. Oh yeah. Go yeah there, there was, there was a couple that I read, uh, two books that I read one more recently. I forgot which one it was. I think I did hers on just the Gnostic Gospels, which that might was, be yeah. called just that. Yeah, I think it is the just Gnostic, Gnostic Gospels. Gospels. Yeah, I think that was yeah. what I read. Really, does, um, it's yeah. worth the re for those who are you know who've never read it. Um, Elaine Pagels, and I'll I'll write this down in the, in the description so you guys can have it. But it's worth the read, especially if you're um, I'll say uh, dare I say Christian curious, um, uh, but but yeah. not but not in the way of like the I'll say standard idea of the organization as a, a, a church as an organization you know yeah, more yeah or less yeah. like the mm -hmm. spiritual kind of like deeper more hidden sides you know i guess yeah that's how i would say it. esoteric christianity or mystical christianity or something yes. like that yeah mm -hmm. probably Christian. the difference of like like in rumi and sufism and then being like just a more strict muslim person it's not really quite the same thing right you could have interest in the one and maybe not yeah. have as much interest in the other yeah sufism like versus uh 
Yeah, like Sunni or Shia. Yeah, some more strict uh, version. Yeah, yeah. more, more uh, observing different not even yeah strict but then just also slightly different you know yeah like true, true different different mm -hmm. views so i looked at that she has one on what will probably come up in our podcast here which is the gospel of thomas which i'm sure will will pop up here and there which is another really interesting kind of gnostic text and <clears throat> i looked at hers on the gospel of judas too because that was a big thing when that first appeared but anyway so these are fun in the queue she has a history of satan Satan. So I'm going like, to listen to that one at some point. I got it as an audio book. Maybe I'll listen to it today when I have to shovel the car out of the snow in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Miguel's line in Chicago is really funny, Daniel. He always calls it, I'm broadcasting from the frigid dystopia of Chicago. <laughs> anyway, so that's Miguel's great. And uh, what we want to do is a follow up on Nazism overall, just to explore the subject a little bit more. And hopefully that'll make the Miguel episodes even more informative and fun. So all right, so understanding Gnosticism. This is a really, really hard subject, and we are not shy about talking about hard subjects on Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. But this one is really hard. And I, I kept thinking, like, Miguel has been doing this podcast. Uh, it was originally Coffee, Cigarettes, and Gnosis, and then it was Ann Byte. And he's probably been at this for, like, 20 years talking about this subject matter. <laughs> so we probably ain't going to get it in our two episodes, but we'll try to give you some context for it, right? And as we like to do on the show, we do not spare, we do not spare the gin. We go for it. You know, we put a lot of gin. Yeah, the, <laughs> we're, not the, gonna, we're not going to cheat you the gin. Up to the brim. You know what I mean? Yes. Like if gin you're to the brim. I mean, and, you know, truthfully, you know, Eric, you, I don't, I don't really drink very often. Um, but generally, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it until I feel it. You know, like. That's a good motto. That's right. I'm going to do it till I feel it. There it is. The gin and tantra <laughs> motto that's right yeah um <laughs> well i mean i think like part of, i was thinking about this as i was prepping these show notes because like okay so do it till you feel it and also the part is like you probably don't you're not going to know what something is until you really know what something is so you might as well go for it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know if you're going to do it you might as well do it so all right so how do you even start with this and i thought maybe the place to start would just be to do a little history on this because it's kind of interesting and it does set the context for this thing. So a little history. Here we go back in time. Uh, in these old texts from these people who would be called like heresy hunters. Now, if you don't know anything about this, this is a crazy subject matter. <laughs> but they would mention these people called Gnostics. So who are these people who are these heresy hunters? It's a bunch of people you've never heard of who would be called like the church founders. So if you go way, way back in time, you're talking like early parts of Christian history. 200 AD, 300 uh, AD, 400 AD, you know, whatever the timeline on this exactly is. We're not doing a scholarly full thing, but you have all these people that you never would have heard of unless you're really interested in this somehow. But there's these really important figures who are kind of like hidden behind the scenes. And they're the people who are kind of laying the foundation for what Christianity would become and then go forward. And uh, they obviously have the people who are their opponents, who a lot of times are other Christians who they don't like what they think. And they're like, kind of like going at each other and kind of like ultimately really kind of stamping, stamping each other out. So it's this kind of strange part of Christian history. And it's a bunch of people, like I said, you never heard of unless you're really interested in this. So people like Irenaeus, Hippolytus, Tolturian, Tolturian uh, Origen, Justin Martyr, all these people. You're like, who are these people? <laughs> it's these old school people who were these uh, church founders who also had 
their very strong opinions on what they thought Christianity meant. A lot of people had different opinions on what they thought Christianity meant, and they like went at each other pretty aggressively. <laughs> so uh, it's this whole group of whole cast of characters. I always love saying Justin Martyr because friend of the show Justin Key is a long-term friend of mine and to think of his name coming from someone called Justin Martyr is very amusing because he's not a very Christian person <laughs> but in any case he's like the opposite I think Justin Martyr I always think of him in any case uh in these texts that they're writing they present their own ideas of Christianity and they spend a lot of time trashing other people especially a group of people that they would call the Gnostics so you'd have you'd had like historically speaking references to these groups of people who had these divergent beliefs uh, that were obviously going to be presented pretty negatively, you know, by these people who intrinsically don't like them. But the trouble was that no Gnostic text would really not many would survive to speak for themselves. Why? Well, because they were destroyed. <laughs> you know, by who? by other heresy hunters, ultimately, or like once you have Rome take this as the ultimate religion, well, then everything's going to get destroyed potentially, you know? So this is the backstory to how this goes back in history, which is, you know, it's an important story that everyone should know something about, you know, if you don't know anything about it, you know, at least know a little bit about it now, and it's interesting. Now, a slight aside, Eric, uh -huh. if in, in reference to our alcohol references, if we were to change this and call them Hennessy hunters, then we uh, might... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think maybe the Gnostics are the Hennessy hunters and they're being chased be. by the heresy hunters. Maybe yeah. that finishes, <laughs> the, finishes the bit, right? Yeah, that's it. That might be the bit. Yeah, for sure. We have another podcast on Gnosticism called Hennessy Hunters. Our <laughs> 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 sock podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Invite Miguel onto that one too. No, uh -huh. this is a totally different thing, Miguel. Yeah, Hennessy yeah. Hunters. Yeah, you have it's nothing to do with this. It's not gin and tantra. Nah, yeah, nah. it's this other thing. Uh -huh. Totally different. It's not us bitching about society and talking about random spiritual shit. It's just different. Nah. Yeah, just it, it, yeah, it hits different, as the kids <laughs> yeah. say. Yeah. So okay, so this is the backstory. So you go. It, it's a it's a kind of an amazing story. Um, so flash forward into the 20th century, and we're really talking like a millennia and a half, maybe, or something like that. Who knows mm -hmm. exactly the time frames involved? You get this place called Nakamadi. And Nakamadi is a place out in the desert, kind of near where, uh, uh, I guess, the sixth dynasty of Egypt would be. Yeah. So in the Middle East. And, um, but in Egypt. In Egypt. And as fate would have it, there is uh, a farmer, I, I guess, I don't know how young or old he was, but he's just going around. And I hadn't heard this. I thought it was in a cave. But when I was doing a little research, they're saying it was actually in a graveyard. It was a graveyard, yeah. Yeah. So a graveyard in the desert, um, you know, in this area of Egypt that was around this place of historical significance and digging around there. And they stumble upon this kind of trove of texts, which end up being, guess what? The Gnostic Gospels, along with some other things, too. Like there was some Plato there, some other philosophical works and all that. There was, I think, a, a lunchbox, a transformer, <laughs> and one tangerine. <laughs> the, 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 the Egyptian version of a transformer. Yeah, that's yeah right. you just take it and the Sphinx turns into like uh, some other character. Some origami. Griffin. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, and there's a kind of a funny backstory about it too, because eventually people went to go interview the person who found it. And they said all this crazy stuff apparently about there was a real complex reason why this digging was happening. It had to do with a blood feud and cannibalism and digging for soil and superstition. And it might have also involved the jinn. 
<laughs> which is like a, kind of one of those Middle Eastern, what, mythical figures where the genie comes from, but it's kind of evil. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, a an evil, malevolent genie. A malevolent genie who will not grant your wishes. It will no. like try to delude and color your mind and like yes. yeah, steal will, your mojo. And possess, yeah, possess you. Yeah. So anyways, it's like a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, it looks like in the end, it might have been all that backstory might have been just covering up. Some people were just digging up some graves to steal some shit. And that would have been taboo. So I don't know the whole story, <laughs> but it's kind of interesting, you know. So these things are dug up. And, um, you know, amongst the other philosophical works, there is this whole thing of Gnostic texts that are there. So the backstory seems to be interesting. It might have been, again, that there were things coming down through uh, Rome that were going to say, hey, uh, the official original is Christianity. You better get rid of all your other stuff. And so it might have been hidden in the graveyard, entirely possible. Or it might have been just that someone who was rich was buried with their stuff to show that they were very scholarly, who knows the answer. Um, but in any case, so that seems to be the thing. As often happens with these kinds of stories, Carl Jung appears. <laughs> Carl Jung inevitably appears, just somehow popping up somewhere or another. So uh, one of these texts, just kind of given the, the whole story, uh, ends up in the hands of the Jung Institute. Apparently they bought it for him. It's kind of a birthday present. That's a nice gift. It's a nice gift. That's how you know you're doing things. You have an yeah. institute named after you while you're alive. And while you're alive, people buy you gifts. People buy you old ancient texts that were dug out of the ground. <laughs> oh, I, I'll take anything. At auction. <laughs> At auction. Yeah. So, you know, if someone like digs any old ancient Buddhist texts and when it gives it to the Jin and Tantra Institute, we'll take it. We will take it. Yeah. So anyways, it, one of them actually involves Carl Jung and Carl Jung, the great psychologist is involved uh, in helping this thing get translated, gets translated, apparently, you know, and it takes a long time for this to get translated. It's a very strange yeah. story. But in any case, it, there's a little sidebar that I thought was worth talking about, Daniel, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, too, is that hidden texts as a thing, because it's like what blows my mind about this is it really is like hidden texts reemerging. And certainly in the last spiritual traditions and in Buddhism too, they have this whole idea that like texts will disappear until the time is ripe and right for them to like reappear. And it's an interesting idea. So in uh, Tantric Buddhism and in Tibetan Buddhism and the Nyingma tradition, mm -hmm. one of the four schools of Tibetan Buddhism, they have this whole idea that people will find these old texts and say, hey, look at this, you know. This was laying around in the mountains and we just found it and it was from some great former figure. There's this character named Padmasambhava, who's usually the person who gets like kind of tied to these texts. Yeah, and there's a whole sure. idea that he kind of buried all these texts. So on the one hand, as a 21st century person, you know, you want to keep an open mind, but you don't want your brain to fall out. You sort of think, well, that's just what people do. <laughs> they write a book and then they say some person with, uh, you know, a lot of rep and cachet wrote it. So it's kind of a little hard to believe <laughs> that this happens. You know, you go through and you say, I wrote a whole gospel. And guess who? I, I have this gospel. Guess who it's from? Thomas. Who? Thomas? Yeah, Doubting Thomas, the guy with the, the pointed at his hand to show the little marks from Jesus. And, you know, let, let me see where this, the spear stabbed you. That guy, he wrote a gospel. Nobody knew. And then you give the gospel to everybody. And it's like all the shit that you think is in this gospel. And everyone's like, wow. Thomas really agreed with you. Wow, who knew? Your ideas were better than we thought. So it's kind of a move, <laughs> you know, and you would probably think, yeah, it's probably happened a lot where people did this and, you know, that probably did happen. 
it'd be like, I was trying to think of an analogy, Daniel, and I forgot one, but it's sort of like if you like just dug up a secret text from Einstein or something. Yeah. You said you were up in the mountains and Einstein said this and look, everything I say, he agrees with like a thousand percent. <laughs> Smartest guy ever. See, you know, I don't know. We wouldn't go for that. But in the you know, traditional culture, this seems to like, you know, this is, this is not an uncommon occurrence. And I honestly, one would have that kind of attitude. And yet this Nagamadi thing, triply enough, is ex- like kind of like exactly that kind of thing happening where it like sat around for such a long time in this perfect place where it could survive and then just like pop back up again when, you know, some random event happens, people digging around in some place, maybe they should or shouldn't have been digging. And the next thing you know, this appears. So it's kind of just a, a weird, it's a weird story. <laughs> and it, it makes you think, well, maybe you could find an old Buddhist text just out of nowhere, you know? And it does happen. You know, there are like Taoist texts that people find in caves in China and they're like, oh shit, look what this thing says. It's surprising. You know, so these things do appear, you know? And what do you think about that whole thing? You got a feeling one way or the other? Anything is plausible. You're talking, I mean, who knows how much time went by, you know, if the, you know, I mean, you're talking about prophecy basically, right? And so the question is how, how much do you believe in prophecy? And, you know, I don't know. I will say though, that maybe, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is a deeper thing. We could talk about it another time, but like, just because someone isn't famous and says something that's worth repeating, does it have the same value? You know? I think it does. I think that's one of the things I wanted to talk about too. Yeah. Like I, I mean, don't care if Padma Sambhava wrote it or not. If the thing is good, I'm right, cool. The thing, the thing is good. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that like, I sort of love about, you know, sharing the shamanic practice with different people, which I have a class starting this week, actually, the next week. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, they, they, how does Michael Harner wrote, you know, he has a couple different books, Way of the Shaman, Cave and Cosmos, which are fantastic reads if you're interested in shamanism, by the way. Um, but he says that, like, you know, people who practice this kind of thing, and, and I think practice any sort of really deep spiritual practice, it's a individual um, experience of divine revelation. And so with that mindset, if somebody has something that they touch the infinite, you know, or have some understanding, some epiphanies, some, you know, enlightenment type experience, and they share it, then I, I think it has value. So I think it's easier to attribute sort of deep text to, you know, the, the deep folks of history and say, well, they said that therefore, right. Therefore it must be good or it must be bad or whatever. But like, there's been lots of people along the way, I think, who probably were and have been enlightened and will become enlightened that never seek any credit, never seek any audience, you know, never seek a crowd. They just just because thing. of the vicissitudes of what happened, their particular thing doesn't find its way down or something like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's no, interesting. Like Bart Ehrman, who's one of the scholars on the New Testament, um, you know, interesting person. And, you know, if you're interested in these things, you can check him out too. He has lots of stuff on YouTube. He's another person who has a good sense of humor and all that. He's more of an atheist person. So he's talking not from a spiritual point of view. He's talking really from like a scholarly point of view, you know, atheist to atheist agnostic. So, um, which nothing wrong with that. Um, but, you know, he talks, he has a whole book where he, he kind of like says that this is fraud. And he tries to argue that this was a fraudulent thing where people would go and like attribute a text to, you know, uh, one of the apostles like Thomas or attribute it to some famous Buddhist person. He's really talking more about the, you know, the Christian tradition and that this was just a flat out fraud. 
But like, to me, I don't really see it that way. I just kind of see like you write something and there was sort of a tradition of attributing it to some older famous person. And uh, I mean, you wonder like maybe even people at the time were like, well, did Thomas write this or not write this? Who knows? You know, there obviously seems to be a different attitude around this, you know, uh, but, you know, I agree with you too, even if like it, even if that did happen and someone wrote it and attributed it to somebody else, you know, it still might be really good. So who cares two, on some level, two right? Point, two points that we could maybe we could move on. Yeah. Um, but one, who's to say what, who wrote what in the Bible anyways, first? Oh, no, that's all. You know that's all up for grabs. Yeah. All up for grabs. <laughs> that whole thing's number, up for grabs. Number one. Yeah. And then number two, if your grandma gives you good advice, is it not good advice because her name isn't Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Or like, Matt, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? So like, for me, if it's solid, it's solid. Even if I see it on a bumper sticker or hear it in a <laughs> musical song. I mean, the, the you know, Vajra, I mean, Buddhism talks about this at like the, the enlightened beings can manifest as, you know, uh, how, how does Robert Thurman say? He says, uh, to whomsoever, whatsoever meaning that like you can manifest as an, as an enlightening moment or an enlightening experience to anybody through any medium, whether it be lyrics to your favorite Rolling Stones song or a scene in a movie or a line in a book or words from your favorite teacher. Maybe so it makes me want to ask like, what would your favorite Rolling Stones song be? Who, me? <laughs> yeah, I have a hard I time imagining you having a favorite Rolling Stones song. I, don't, I couldn't even name one uh. if you paid me. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't think you could. Nah, I'm just saying, you know. Uh, those chords that come in whenever they're going to do the coin flip and the super and like a football game is like start me up, probably. Sure. I, yeah, whatever you say, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right. Anyways, uh, just because we know each other, I was like, that guy doesn't know a single Rolling Stone song. No, hell no. Uh, not hell no, but like, I do know some yeah. classic rock. I'm not going to lie. Anyways, yeah, yeah, anyways. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So the other thing that hit me just real quick before we totally leave it is this text appearing thing is kind of interesting though. Cause it's, I, I probably have a personal feeling about this because books have appeared in my life and we've talked about this issue in other podcasts. And I would say that there was sort of, I think we talked about it with Robert Thurman too. And one of the conversations with him, just the surge of interest in spirituality kind of like within my lifetime late 80s oh, yeah. to early aughts, there was this, this surge and everything became available, you know? So if you wanted to read some Kabbalistic work, you know, that you'd have to it'd be really hard to maybe get your hands on unless you were really in that subculture, it was available, you know, or, you know, all these Buddhist tantric things and all this stuff. So I don't know, I feel like I lived in a time when even if it wasn't dug out of a graveyard in uh, Egypt or something, there was an explosion of stuff that maybe appeared in the right time at the very least it, it appeared at the right time for me right <laughs> in my life it appeared at the right time well here's so. a here's a funny story man my, so when my mom my family came here in 72 my mom started practicing yoga when she was 14 or 15 and this is in like you know the mid 70s but there wasn't any like tapes you know there wasn't the internet there wasn't anything to be found on this so she wrote uh the the Yogananda ashram and I think in California or in India and they would write her back with descriptions of postures not pictures descriptions of postures to do that was how she practiced yoga way back when and now you know it's like you know yoga I mean we were we were just talking about this the other day people make fun of like you know namaste in bed you know like yeah 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 so well, there's it, something to, there's something about that this is this is a there's we haven't done the thing on kabbalah someday we will right yeah. 
but you know, they had this whole thing that like, there's something about overcoming obstacle and resistance. Mm. And that's obstacle. Like I don't even have a picture. Right. No picture. <laughs> right? I just got like, well, they couldn't just taken a photo from somebody and stuck it in an envelope. I'm not sure. <laughs> they didn't want to pay the shipping. We get one of those old school instant cameras, <laughs> get the little thing in the end oh, here. Right, here's yeah. the picture. Yeah. Yeah. Some uh, dude in his underwear just doing the pose. That's what those all those old books look like, right? Some dude mm -hmm. in their tidy white he's doing a pose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one size too small. <laughs> um, yeah. So there is something about like having to overcome obstacle. Yeah. For see sure. that. Uh, a little funny little like uh, historical thing of both of our lives. But my mom did yoga too, and I would watch her do it. Huh. And she would do it watching this woman on public television in Chicago, which was channel 11, WTTW. And my mom is like, uh, and probably still is like ridiculously flexible person. <laughs> so she would just do like forward bends and just like, you know, completely like fold in half <laughs> and do all this crazy shit. And I was watching her as a kid. I do not have that, that level of flexibility. But um, so I can sit like a full lotus and stuff like that. So got something from my mom. It helped me out in the long run. But yeah, that, okay. So we both had yoga doing moms that we were watching. Mm. Were you watching like, what the hey? No, no, I wasn't <laughs> even born at this point. Oh, you weren't even born as well. Oh, this is when your mom was a teenager. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Was she doing that when you were a kid? Not that I can remember. Oh, yeah, my mom would do it. And I like, it was this very thin kind of like a uh, uh, ballerina looking lady on tv who would be doing these poses and my mom could exactly do them it was pretty amazing so anyways mm, that's cool all right so a personal personal anecdotes all right so with this we've set up this thing where you know we have these hidden texts that are popping up in the desert and the next thing is like what do these things say so this is a hell of a discussion too because there really is a big debate over what to like we're talking about academic thought mm -hmm. around this we'll look at the spiritual ideas in this too but certainly the academic talk around this is pretty hot and heavy, such as academic talk can get, uh, not in the saucy hot and heavy sense, but in the like, there's a lot of controversy sense. Um, so there's a real thing about whether it's right even to have Gnosticism as a term or a thing at all. Is that even a correct thing to use? Because there's so much of diversity of thought um, around within these texts and around the schools that seem to be associated with this general heading that people debate whether that this should even be a, uh, an overall category, whether you're really doing a disservice by even having it there. And we were talking about Elaine Pagels earlier. So she's one of the people who feels this way. There's another woman named Karen King, who's a pretty famous scholar who feels something like this too, that there's just no such thing as Gnosticism at all. And so why even bother having this term? And I think Karen King even argues that like when you use the word Nazism, you're kind of tapping into these old heresy hunters. You're trying to like label a bunch of people with just mm. a broad brush, mm. but you can get what she's saying. You know, you're kind of doing what Tertullian would do or Origen or some old school, you know, person who is really hostile to this tradition. And they are pretty diverse. So, you know, I thought we should probably do an episode of the Gospel of Thomas at some point. I think that would be cool. Yeah, I have it up yeah. in front of me. So, oh, no shit. Yeah. And it's, but it's, it's just, it is different. It like, it's not, you yeah. can call it Gnostic, but it's not saying the same thing as some of these other Gnostic things. So I understand what they're saying. No, it's not. I don't feel I don't feel like, I mean, it's a Gnostic gospel, but it doesn't, it doesn't fit in the mold of the other ones. Yeah. They're all, but yeah, they're different. Right. Yeah. So I don't know, but then other people will say, and I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll get your opinion on this, Daniel. <clears throat> other people will say, well, you know, we do this all the time. We put labels on things to like tie diverse schools of thought together. You know, so we use words like Christianity, we use words like Buddhism, and the people who believe in Christianity don't believe the same thing at all, you know, right. 
and the people who you know believe certainly believe in Buddhism don't believe the same thing at all either. They're like radically different, you know. And so, you know, this is kind of the debate. And I suppose in the end, I sort of feel maybe more like I'm in that, that second group. Yeah, we have categories, we name things, you know, just to talk about things that have more, at least some similarity. So I don't see a problem. Do you have a dog in this fight? Do you care one way or the other? Or you're like, yeah, I don't care. No, nah, no. Nah. It's, I mean, it's used for, it's, you know, it's used for understanding. It's used to connect one, one's mind with another mind, you know, with subjects that take days and weeks and months to just describe one of them. So we need to have like a, a header. You know, yeah. so continue talking, or else you'd be like, "Well, in order to understand that, you have to understand this." And you know, like you would just never stop. Maybe I'm just such a Buddhisty, Taoisty kind of a dude that I'm just like, "Yeah, we throw labels around all the time. They don't mean that much." And like, you, you know, it's it's just a general word you use to describe a certain set of things. You kind of know that it's a little bit artificial, and that doesn't bother me. Yeah, so. I mean, to me, you're sort of like what you're doing is like you're taking this sort of like infinite potential of someone's understanding. And then you start to throw it down a kind of like spiral, you know, and that with, with, with a label, and then you'll slowly start to like wrangle in someone's understanding as it gets closer and closer and closer to the, you know, the apex. Yeah. yeah. Will. Dalai Lama has kind of a funny little story about this, where he went to uh, stay in a monastery, I guess, in Thailand or something like that. Mm -hmm. So like a different Buddhist tradition. And he was sitting all by himself and all the other monks were sitting you know, in their own tables or something. And he was just eating by himself. And I think his first thought was, oh, they don't want to eat with me because they're showing like disrespect to me. They think I'm some kind of like, you know, key figure in this tradition. And, you know, it's, they don't want to like crowd my space and it would be disrespectful for them to eat with me. He thought they were thinking that, <laughs> you know, uh, but later on and yeah, you know, but he likes to think of himself as just a monk. He says that a lot. I'm just a simple monk. But uh, what he later found out was that the reason they weren't eating with him is they didn't think he was a real Buddhist because <laughs> he ate meats and then you know, there's the Tantra tradition and all that. So they were like, they were actually like, uh, they were more expressing the fact that they didn't think he was actually a Buddhist. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so anyways, you know, what they, say, you know the what they say about assuming. Yes. Well, in any case, you know, like, but we still would call all those people Buddhists. So whatever. Yeah, but anyways, sure. the, the controversy is out there. So just to acknowledge it, right. Mm -hmm. All right, but we're going to take the attitude for our conversation that this is a thing, right? We're going to say there is a thing called Gnosticism and not debate that point anymore. And then it's like, well, how do you start describing something that is so rich like this? And I guess, you know, in thinking about this, to me, probably the easiest way to understand it is by looking at the major ideas within it. And if you understand the major ideas, you probably got a pretty good feeling for what the subject matter is about. So we'll give a tumble at trying to do that. And as we go through, we'll, we'll pause at each one and probably share our own feelings about it. But it goes back to what we were talking about kind of at the beginning, Daniel. I think it's hard to know what someone is saying with, unless you really kind of know what they're saying. <laughs> Without knowing what they're saying, how are you supposed to know what they're saying? So we'll, we'll really try to do it. Full, ex, full uh, uh, disclosure, we're going to be talking probably what would be called like a Sethian Gnosticism based on the Old Testament character of Seth, but it's a school of Gnosticism, but it's kind of the ones that people tend to use to talk about this subject matter. So that's just an academic full disclosure kind of a move I had to do. There's this old work called the Apocryphon of John. It's really convoluted, um, uh, full of a lot of detail, but we're, it's a lot of what we'll be talking about will probably be coming from this thing and this idea of what they call like the Gnostic myth. But the schools have probably have more in common than they don't. And uh, we're, we're going to try to talk through this whole thing without 
We'll go into the detail, but not so much that it gets to be a little bit uh, untenable, hopefully. <laughs> All right, so what are some key Gnostic things? Well, the first one we're gonna talk about is this idea called the monad or the one. So in this Gnostic thought, certainly ones that we're referencing, there's this idea that there's sort of like a pure source of being. If then that would be kind of like a divine, like a God or something, but it isn't at this point being really talked about probably in any personal way. If you like Taoism, you might think that this sounds a little bit like the Tao or something like that. If you like Kabbalah, you might say that this sounds like the Ein Sof. And you know, a lot of people would, a lot of traditions will talk this way. There's some pure source of being. So everything goes back to this pure creative source, which is um, intrinsically kind of positive and good and nourishing and all this other kind of stuff. So there is this idea, ultimately, there is a positive source to creation, though it's it's hidden and we'll kind of trace the backstory through as we go farther into it to kind of figure out where this would diverge from the way people would normally think about something spiritual or religious like this, but you certainly still start off with that same idea. So it's the creative force from which things ultimately will flow out of, but, and this is foreshadowing, it is not the creative force of this world directly. And this is going to be the Gnostic twist on the story. But otherwise, I think a lot of spiritual traditions, you'd sort of talk this way. So I got some personal thoughts on this kind of idea. What do you think about that, Daniel? You have feelings like, about that kind of like, thing? It sounds like the Tao. Yeah. For me, this was sort of an important thing. I can remember there was one time in my little own little spiritual journey where I really got, where I was really asking this question kind of deep. I mean, I've asked it at different times. Yeah. But I can remember very specifically, I think with the practices I was doing at the time, meditatively, spiritually, this question was really sitting there. And I remember thinking, well, okay, who knows? But it is a kind of a thing that you're probably going to answer for yourself. And I answered it kind of yes, that I felt there was some kind of pure ground or source of being. And uh, but that was a that was a moment in my life. And I really had like, I went like, okay, either this is a thing or it's not a thing. I don't know. Nobody knows. But for me, based on my experience and what feels right on some level, there's always a little bit of like, okay, what seems true to me in some intuitive way based on my experience and what speaks to me? I kind of answer this question. Yes. Have you thought about this like in that way at all? Oh yeah, for, for sure. I mean, how's like it been a, answered for you? Did you answer yes? Did you answer no? Like I said, way back, you know, maybe it was a couple months ago when we were, when we talked about this, you know, I think my answer was still kind of like, I'm leaning towards yes, but it isn't so, it isn't so totally clear, but I, I think it's kind of like a Schrodinger's cat, you know, it's neither mm -hmm. in the box, nor is it out there, you know, it's on either side. I think, you know, when you were talking kind of like what came to me and it seems right, there's two things. Well, there may be more than two, but there's for sure in my head, two things that we'll never know definitively can ever prove or not prove one, what happens after death Two, if there is not a God, right. Can you, can you, or, or whatever, creative for, however you want to label that part, the Tao, the yeah. thing, you know, that, that you can sort of do science on or whatever, any kind of science, even if it's bro science, you know, you can't even like prove or unprove either of these things are sort of unprovable, unknowable, really. And that like the way in which they speak to you is through signs, you know, through signals, through kind of, you know, various manifestations along the path. For those who even seek to ask or care to ask and then your interpretation of that i think di dictates your answer you know 
And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, that's saying. where it is for me. And I think so far, the answer to that question is, is, is yeah. Well, you know, it's weird because we have our YOLO <clears throat> episode with uh, not Justin Martyr, Justin Key, yes, friend of the show. Uh, and so there is this idea of, can you do science on whether there's something that happens after death? I mean, maybe it could, you know, uh, this pure source of being, I don't know. You know, I do find it hard to say how you would know the answer to that one way or the other from any scientific point of view. What would you do? You know, take a Geiger counter and like, right. uh, <laughs> like what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, I suppose like on some level, I got to the idea uh, when I was doing Zen, because I was thinking about these questions a lot, like in Zen, they, they, they use the word objective really funny. <laughs> they use it for something that obviously from a scientific point of view, they would say it's subjective. But they would, the, the idea in Zen is like, if you spend enough time trying to penetrate to the truth of a subject matter, even though that's a subjective experience, it has a certain truthiness to it because you spent a long time chipping away at it. So maybe it's not, we're talking personal because it's Jin and Tantra. Uh, maybe it's not the kind of thing where you would go, uh, well, my intuitive feeling is this. How long have you thought about it? Well, I just thought about it now for like 15, 20 seconds. <laughs> you know, Okay. You know, but if you really chip away at something for a long time, maybe you do come up with what is obviously from a scientific point of view, a subjective experience, but I guess maybe kind of more of a thoughtful uh, and informed one or something like that. So anyways, that's how I came to accept this somehow. This is the way this has to be. All right, cool. I was interested in what you'd say about that. So, you know, uh, I know it's, uh, I, I, I think you said what I thought you would say. <laughs> <laughs> which so, is yeah i think on a personal level but you're also being honest like i can't prove this to anybody else right right correct yeah yeah all right so that's one of the terms so if we're talking if we're talking narcissism and we are uh monad the one so then the next term that comes up is this idea of pleroma which i think is related to some for, word that means something like fullness so this is this region of uh of uh, the region of light sort of this part of creation that's immediately connected to and associated with this source of everything, this monad, this Tao. And it's a realm, again, of kind of like pure being, but within it, uh, creation starts to happen. So this is where the, the sausage starts to get made, so to speak, but maybe that's not a good metaphor, uh, but something starts to happen. So, um, and the idea is that, you know, this pleroma <clears throat> is this region where, uh, you know, the creative activity is happening. And this leads to this idea of these emanations that start to come out of the uh, monad. And this starts to sound a lot like Taoism too, to me, Daniel, because there's this sort of very, what I would see is kind of a typical yin-yang move or tantric move or Kabbalistic move where these sort of yin-yang polarities start to appear, you know, and they kind of are generative forces. So they appear and they're kind of unifying coming together is that a pun coming together starts to happen you know and uh and creation starts to unfold so this looks to me like i don't know almost like a perennial philosophy kind of idea that you can find all over the place that you have a pure undifferentiated undifferentiated source of being and then it starts to like uh, uh manifest out and it does it in these sort of polarities I guess kind of like protons and electrons on some level too, right? Sure. And they're drawn to one another, you know, so you can get the science version of this too almost. And so these forces start to happen and then in there combining together, like the way it is in Chinese thought, you have the Tao, the pure source, and then yin yang appears and it interacts. And then, you know, the, 
the whirly bird of creation starts to roll forward or something like that. Yeah, like so like, this seems uh, to like, be the idea. Like strong and weak Vanderwall's forces, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> so it seems to be the yeah, and I I guess I have a what would you call it? I have a like a soft spot for these kinds of ideas. You know, I think they kind of appeal to me. Obviously, it's in the tantras and it's in these you know different spiritual traditions that I happen to really like. Taoism uh, too. So you get this thing. Sometimes this can be like presented in a really like saucy, erotic kind of a way, mm. uh, or sometimes it's not. I don't know if uh, uh, like uh, protons and electrons feel that saucy to people. Oh yeah, they do. <laughs> or strong or weak nuclear forces, or whatever the hell you want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. to be a certain kind of person to really find that to be you know stimulating maybe in that way but in any case there's this this is how this like plays itself out so so far so good this all seems like we're telling the tale that uh if you're interested in these kind of things you probably heard before everything's going good we're in the fullness fullness of the pleroma everything's going groovy but then something happens <laughs> like every good tale you need a twist spirituality with a twist here's where the twist happens in the tale and it starts with the next thing we want to talk about. Oh, yeah, real quick. What you'll see with this, like, say, Miguel's show, Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio. Where's this? What's this Aeon thing? <laughs> what's that supposed to be? Uh, and I actually, when I, when I saw the show, I was like, I don't know what this title means. Aeon Byte, what the heck is that? But uh, he's really, like, referencing back these emanations, these sort of yin-yang pairs, polarities are called Aeons. Mm. So that's the riff of how he came up with the name of the show. But they're within this realm of like still goodness and light, and it's you know connected back to this pure source of everything and all that. Okay, so here's where the twist happens, and it starts with this figure of Sophia, and this is really interesting. And I don't entirely know what I think about this whole thing, but I will share what is said. So she's the figure where the controversy starts to emerge. We have, uh, haven't we heard this tale before, Eric? <laughs> I think we have. We <laughs> blame women a lot. Well, this is a twist okay. on this whole thing, but I'm not sure what I think it means. So we can kind of go through with it because in some ways she's the character where things go a little funky, but in a way she also ends up being the hero of the story. Okay. So it's very interesting. And like, there's certainly commentary around this. So I'll, I'll be curious what you think about this too. So typically what happens is, is she kind of emanates as a solo figure without uh, a pair or something. So she just appears as like just, you know, a unity unto herself or something, I guess, you know, or at least a solitary figure. But there's still this longing for sort of creative emanation. And there still is this longing for um, knowledge and wisdom, because the word means wisdom, right? So, so this is very curious. And I don't know what I make out of this. But anyways, what happens is, is that, uh, in the absence of another pair, um, this uh, uh, she emanates her kind of her own creation, which ends up being the villain of the piece. She's not really the villain. The villain of the piece, which is this character called the Demiurge. And with this character called the Demiurge, um, uh, everything gets fucked up, essentially. So this is where the fall happens. That tale we've heard before there's going to be a fall, right? And uh, what the fuck happened? Why is everything so fucked up moment? So this is this moment in the story. And this Demiurge character ends up being sort of the creator of the world and the, and the universe as we know it. 
but sort of comes from this Sophia kind of like emanating this, this, uh, this kind of what will end up being kind of like a false God actually. So this is the Gnostic twist. This is where the story takes a twist. I don't know what I think about this entirely. On some level, it seems like, you know, the word Sophia as wisdom has feminine connotations. So it ends up being a feminine figure. But I can't tell if it's blaming women like the old, like, uh, you know, Eve ate the apple and therefore she's, it's all her fault kind of a thing. And I don't know the answer to this. It's kind of interesting because she ends up being kind of the hero. And we'll talk about later on, Eve ends up being the hero of the piece too. So it's a little strange. I don't know if it's just because the word wisdom has a feminine connotation in the root language or like what's going on. And I'm also not sure what it means that she's solo. You know, like, does it say something about what wisdom and seeking for knowledge is or something? You know, that's a, like a solitary thing and it can go wrong. Is that the point? It's kind of like, I don't know entirely what I think about that part of the story, you know, because it does seem like knowledge and wisdom without spiritual connection can go wrong. So that might be the point that you're making somehow, right? Mm -hmm. You know, on its own, it can kind of run, run amok and like go down the wrong road. But I find it a weird part to interpret. So anyways, that's the thing. I was reminded a little bit of our soulmate episodes from back in the day. You know, one of the earlier episodes we did back in 2020, right? Is that when we recorded that thing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And like, there's a whole thing about like, because um, a lot of this goes back to Greek, like Greek thought. This word demiurge that we're going to be talking about in a second actually is used in Plato. Maybe not with as much of the negative connotation or something. It's not like an evil character in Plato. Definitely evil in the Gnostic conversation. But, you know, there's a the whole idea that like the soul gets cut in half or something. They sometimes talk about that when they talk about this whole soulmate question. That Like things are cut in half and kind of wandering around this half of who they are. And I, I wonder if that isn't part of this too, somehow, that Sophia is kind of left solo left with a longing for knowledge, creativity, and connection, and then something goes awry as she tries to fill this space. And maybe that's the human condition. You know, in some ways, maybe we're like Sophia trying to fill in this gap. And if we lose our connection to the source of things that can go down the wrong road. I mean, I sometimes think of it that way. Does that make sense to you? I think so. Yeah, I don't know. But it's an interesting twist in the story. So that's the twist, you know? And maybe I, in some ways, Sophia is kind of like a, maybe more of an, empath, an empathetic character. But this next character is not empathetic. So the next character is the Demiurge. Okay, so the word appears in, in Plato, old school Greek philosophy. And uh, the Demiurge is the, the creator of this world and universe, and universe, and essentially a deeply deluded being, a deeply deluded manifestation who sort of is confused crazed, probably egomaniacal or something, and deludedly believes that they are the creative force of everything, that they're the start of everything, and they're not. So they're kind of like this deluded thing. And they, in their delusion, <clears throat> create this world with all of its problems and flaws and all of its craziness and messed upness. It's coming from this demiurge which is the reason why it's messed up. So this is kind of the explanation of what goes wrong. Now, the, uh, the really twisty part, well, okay, so the word for this material universe, the pleroma is the place where everything's kind of awesome. This world ends up being described as the kanoma, kanoma, 
this material universe, which is like a kind of like a, I, would, I guess you'd say a tangent or a, a, a misdirection in the flow of being in the, in the process of creation that gets kind of shunted off into this dark back alley demiurge place. And uh, uh, it's all messed up. But the, the real twist of the story and we'll kind of explore what this means as it goes along is this demiurge is really kind of associated with like the Old Testament God who walks around in the garden saying, I'm everything. Then you have to do what I say and, and, and uh, is vengeful and hostile and all of these things. Like there's this twist in the way the Gnosticism thinks about things that that character is made into not the benevolent creator, but sort of the uh, deluded, crazed, um, deeply flawed created force that brings this thing into existence. So that's the Gnostic twist as far as like the really big twist. What's your gut level reaction to that? Interesting. <laughs> I mean, I guess my, I guess the question is, is how, if, if he, if he was created from her and she was created from the sort of perfection, you know, then how is there such a differentiate differentiation between her and him? If the idea is that what he created was impure as is his nature, then how would she create something impure as that was not her nature, unless they're trying to make her sound better than she is. And maybe she's a naughty one. Um, oh, <laughs> uh, like uh, she can't, like uh, she came, uh, he came from somewhere. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. <laughs> like, she didn't come from nowhere. No, I, th I think the idea is something like, because the creative process goes awry. Ah, okay. There's a lack of like, there's a lack of like, connection the connection gets broken got it and then this flawed things come out that's supposed to be the idea well then uh, i mean no wonder we're all messed up i mean look how many ways we're going down but i think people are getting better as time goes on i mean i think this sort of stands in the face of this i believe people are getting better i believe our society is better now than it was 500 years ago it's a crazy question isn't it yeah you have to say in some ways for sure yeah right because there's more recognition of like problems mm -hmm. but then you get to the whole thing of like uh, like we're living in the Kali Yuga or something. Well, within a relative time frame, I'm just saying, I, I think I was listening to something yesterday and they, um, given the, um, I lost my thought there. Oh, you, sorry. This is, okay. Sorry. Was, I, okay. I want to step on your thought. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're good. I was listening to the radio yesterday and they had said that in 1964, there was a judge who uh, through a married, a black, uh, you know, a bi mixed couple, mixed race couple, black man, white woman, he put them in jail in 1964 mm -hmm. in this yeah. country. So I'm just saying that's not that long ago. You know, that's not that, that's, that's not that long ago. And there's, and there now that that's not a, that's not a thing anymore. So even in our, we could say, even within, in our like sort of compressed society, there is, there is improvement, which is the, which is positive, which means to me, we're getting better. You know, it's a long, I mean, you could think whatever thing. you want about like, you know, president Obama's performance of, as president, you might like him, you might not like him, but the fact that he got elected, like just blew my doors off. Like even within my life and the fact that he could get right. elected is like, Whoa, I can't believe he got elected. Right. Mm -hmm. In a positive sense, <laughs> like, wow, this is amazing that this culture has improved to the point where, um, you know, uh, he could get elected. I think that, so that, that speaks to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Of course, the downside is that we got like this, 
okay, well, this is where we can lay our cards on the table. We got this rampant sort of like corruption and uh, 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 corporate problem and pollution. And this is destroying this planet. Like, you know, there's just no way you can dodge around that. Mm -hmm. So are you in the Kali Yuga or not? <laughs> in some ways, good things are happening, like what you're talking about. I hear it. But in other ways, obviously, like really, really very negative things are happening, like the consolidation yeah. of power and destruction that's yes. happening is like pretty harrowing. Correct. And I think I don't know. there is a lot. Well, we don't know. I can't even say because I don't know how life was before, but there seems to also be a lot of individual suffering, you know, even though we have yeah. lots of things, the things ultimately and the Buddhists will say this for sure are empty and not empty as in like they're embodying infinite potential of you know bliss and understanding and all this no no no. empty is in meaning like you can hold your phone in your hand and scroll it on so many different apps for so long until you get bored and realize there's nothing on the end of the scroll you know it's literally an infinite scroll it's a scroll to nowhere <laughs> it's a scroll to nowhere you know what i'm saying and like doing yeah. a google search doesn't mean you're you're a researcher you know what i'm saying it means you can use your thumbs and read probably a one page you know it's not like a source of knowledge you know, I was talking with friend of the show, Justin Key, before we recorded, just catching up earlier today. I like how you yeah. always say friend of the show with him. That, you know, it makes him sound so regal, you know? Well, I mean, like uh, he deserves his props. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and plus we needed context. So, uh, and it was, he was asking, we were talking about like Nazism. He said, what are you doing on the podcast today? I said, we're going to talk about this Nazism. And he was like, I just, he was describing, he was asking, what would Nazism say about now when I was trying to talk about it? And he said, well, I mean, that could be like, he said, like, maybe cynical, but true, I think is what he said, you know? And I was like, I don't even know if it seems cynical to me. As we finish the story, you could really have a way, if you could say, of even explaining within this way of talking of why good and bad things would happen. The good thing would happen because ultimately there's going to be a spark of, uh, of, uh, you know, a pure force that gets put into this uh, emanation, you know, off of this demiurge character, right? There is a way in which, you know, pure potential for the good is introduced back in. So maybe that, you know, in this way of thinking to what you're bringing up, Daniel, maybe that accounts for, again, per this way of thinking, you know, why you get good things happening, but it also accounts for why you get fucked up things happening. Both of these things are going on at the same time, right? So you're, so you're saying through the act of chaos, there is potential for not only bad, but good as well. No, well, let's, well, okay, hold on. Let me, we're cheating ahead. Let's go through the okay, rest of it. Sorry, I'll, sorry. I'll double back I, I didn't mean, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's good. I mean, retract is it chaos, retract is it chaos or not? Actually, it's not what I'm saying, but it might be true. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you might be dead on right, man. Anyway, so there's this there's this material universe that appears, right? This Kanoma off of this really nasty figure called the Demiurge, who's basically like the god of the Old Testament. This is not like uh, kept on the QT. It's like this Demiurge is the Old Testament god. So they're actually going after the religion of their time, essentially. And they're saying there's something wrong with it. Certainly that is being said, you know? Um, all right. So this Demiurge has these things called archons. And these are the forces that um, are sort of the powerful forces ruling the world. Some of that could be seen as, you know, spiritual forces. Some of that might be stuff like actually in the world, like the corrupt leadership of the world. If you're writing at the time of these people, that's like 
crazy Roman emperors, Caligula and, you know, uh, uh, Tiberius and uh, who's the dude who was supposed to fiddle why Rome burned? I can't remember his name. Uh, you're going to, I'm not going to know that. Oh, you'll know if I came up with the name, but in any case, it'll hit me in a second. But you know, these crazy Roman emperors. Oh, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. No, 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 that's not a Roman name. (laughs) Okay, well, for sure. That was maybe the nickname they gave him later. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, you'll know it when I come up with it, but I can't. Uh, Anyways, so, you know, corrupt forces ruling the world. You look around and you go like, man, this is this is effed up. Look at these crazy leaders. They're crazy emanations. We're trying to live in our part of the world. There's these crazy Roman people that got crazy people on top of us locally. You know, this is kind of what probably is happening. And uh, in that sense, I think you could see an analogy to like the world now. You know, you got crazy people, your Jeff Bezoses of the world and your Mark Zuckerbergs and these people who just are kind of loony on some level, greed and power and all this sort stuff. Of, so you look around, com- and you're like, okay. Bleh. We compare those, I think, to pleasure gods. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, you know what, the, what I really think of them, Daniel, is I don't think of them as pleasure gods. I think of them as being those jealous gods. Oh, jealous gods. want to just it. like yeah, fight yeah, with each yeah. other all the time, yeah. right? For yeah. power and shit. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely, like, there seems to be some analogy there for sure. The word archon, just to like do the whole things we're talking about, does appear in St. Paul. So he does use this word. It's not obvious he's using it in the exact same Gnostic sense, but he is saying like, yeah, there's corrupt powers. And he would, he would feel that way, obviously, because he'd be looking at the Roman Empire and stuff. So, so there's this image, vision in this way of talking that there's this archonic kind of thing happening where there are all these corrupt powers and they're like kind of dominating the world. And uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a certain truth to that. I don't know if that's cynical. I don't see that as being cynical. Do you? No. I think that's just being kind of honest, you know, when mm-hmm. you're talking about Rome or whether you're talking about the really nasty aspects of corporate America. My daughter's doing a paper on the Nestle uh, Corporation. You know, she's in her freshman year of college and she was just talking about it. And she's like, oh my God, this thing is horrible. <laughs> the shit that Nestle does is awful. You know, you, know, we get, you get the chocolate and you get uh, Nespresso and all of that, but you also get slave labor and like corporate corruption and all this. It's really, I mean, we all know this tale, but this I think is happening now. And maybe that's a sign of improvement. This is getting unmasked more and more. Don't you feel that's happening now, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a sort of a revelation like, no, this isn't right anymore. You know? mm-hmm. So hopefully this will, this will be when the story starts to go in a different direction. All right, so, so okay. So now following through on our Gnostic tale, we're at the point where we had like something go wrong. There's this Demiurge character. There's all these archons, this Konoma, this material universe with all of its flaws and corruption is kind of created. And, um, and this is where there's, it depends on the version of the story, but you know, usually Sophia becomes sort of like part of the, the hero of the story again. She looks down and she says, oh, well, that went wrong. You know, this got all messed up. And in her effort to try to like uh, fix this, she sort of tricks this Demiurge character to give whatever he has of, you know, the, the pure source of being this monad or whatever, like to get this into the world. So she sort of does this move or she sort of tricks him into doing this. So spirit enters into matter. This is like, I guess, kind of an answer to like one of these questions that always comes up in these kinds of tales. I think you've, you've hit on them, you know, as we've been talking about too, Daniel, you've been bringing them up, which is really great. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, certain... a, genius. I'm a genius. So it's okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing of like, there's, there's quintessential questions like, okay, if there's a pure source of being like, what the fuck happened? That's a quintessential question. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's certain quintessential things. 
do things come from a pure source? If they do, well, what's the story? How did things end up the way they are? These are quintessential spiritual questions. And I guess one of the big questions is how does spirit enter into matter? Well, this, I tell you- It's like, a huge question. If you, if you think that spirit did enter into matter, like how so? <laughs> well, and the, I think yeah. when, you know, when you know, I talk about this with some friends and you know, whatever, we talk about it as well. It's, to me, it's actually less about like, is there, is there not a God? The question is like, what and or why, you know, like mm -hmm. that's a, that's more of a, like, that's more of a useful question. Cause what if, okay, let's just say for, for to someone goes, is there a God? Yeah. Or whatever you want to call it. Creative spirit Tao. Okay. Okay. We'll just say it. Right. Okay. Yes. I mean, like, <laughs> like we, we go to the end of that end of that question as if it's a cliff that once you answer yes to, you know, like, we'll never know. We'll jump off the cliff and see what happens. Okay. So we say, okay, yes, there is, or no, there isn't. Then, I mean, then what? I mean, what's the logical or, or illogical, I don't care, conclusion or, or reaction or ideology after you answer that question? Then, then what? I guess there's different ways you could take that. Back in the day, I have one of my friends from Eastern Europe, Leonid, and uh, he was watching the X-Files and he was pretty sure there were aliens in the world. <laughs> now, he's a funny guy. He's like a uh, you know, PhD in uh, immunology. He's a very highly educated guy. All these different theories he has about things. And I remember we were talking at the time and he was like, don't you think it's possible that there's aliens? <laughs> And uh, well, now he looks pretty like now it looks like there's aliens. We haven't done that episode yet. We've been promising for a long time. We probably have to do the aliens episode. Oh, we gotta do it. Ah, oh, man. <laughs> uh, before they appear, and then the episode won't have any punch anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we gotta do it while it's still a speculation. But yeah, you know, he, he was talking about this, and I remember saying, "Okay, maybe there's aliens. <laughs> if so, my shit's still the same. <laughs> I still got all the same problems. If there's aliens or not aliens, right?" I still am a finite being who has to deal with my own mortality and my own spiritual questions, my own existential questions. The aliens really haven't changed anything for me, mm -hmm. you know? So it's a little bit that maybe, you know, but like, okay. So for me, I think this did matter. I had this thing going on in my head and I was like, well, is there a pure source of being? If so, then isn't there a weird way in which being around me is also kind of pure, but I just can't see it. And that's a very tantric question. Mm. So that did matter to me. You know, so I think it can matter if you answer it yes or no. You know, it's not like nothing. And I don't think you're saying it's nothing. I think you're saying like, once you answer it yes or no, take a tumble at it and see where things go. Right, yeah. Then, you know? then, then what? I mean, the, would, would, would someone stop being an asshole if, if they said, you know what I mean? If they answered yes. Well, maybe like, they would, yeah. I mean, that's they, like- I mean, uh, that's the hope, right? For yeah. me, in my mind, like, if there were aliens, would that make people stop fighting? You know? Would probably that make not. People... They probably have to fight the aliens, actually. Probably well, fine, worse. but will we stop fighting each other? You know what <laughs> I mean? Would you... War of the worlds. Uh -huh. Right. Would you find something else? Like, I guess that's kind of like the question. It's like, what change does that, does the response to that question yield? I think that was a little bit, this is almost getting to the point, we haven't talked about the Zen riddles, we will later on. Well, let's say you do a Zen riddle and you answer yes to that Zen riddle. There is a pure source of being and therefore there's a pure source of things within the world or something like that. Well, then that, that probably should change your mind if you take it seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the, the bigger, I mean, since we're just, we're talking, I think the bigger problem is that people don't take the answers to the shit that they say seriously enough. 
but you got to like buy in or something. Once you say yeah. yes, you got to like, kind of like back it up. Yeah. You know, there's this weird thing going on about like, that says like, you're on, you're hanging from a branch, <laughs> uh, you know, off the side, you've fallen off the side of a cliff. You're hanging from a branch beneath you is like, uh, like, uh, multiple man-eating tigers. <laughs> mm. What do you do? And I guess part of the answer is you take your shit seriously, you know, like you start taking your shit seriously. Mm-hmm. So I guess I, I probably have something like that. I, I don't know if that sounds obnoxious or not, but that is something I wonder, even like, is it is when I talk with my bot, my daughter or something, I was like, take your shit at least a little seriously. Sure. You know, because that will give you more meaning out of what you're doing. You got to like take your shit at least a little seriously anyways. Okay. So just to say that I was listening to, uh, uh, Miguel Connor's podcast, prepping for this a little bit, he had on this really interesting scholar of religion named Robert Price, who's another person I ultimately want to get on this little podcast of ours. And he was talking about Gnosticism and where it comes from. And he did point out that there's a whole bunch of stories, you know, myths and stories that basically try to like talk about this question, spirit entering into matter. And he was telling the Indian version, which I probably knew less well, but he was basically talking about the Purusha and then there's these little droplets, like there's the material world and it's like a, a lake or something in this particular version of the story. And then there's the spirit kind of rains down from above. So there's obviously like a natural metaphor going on there, you know, and all the little droplets of spirit enter into the water of the world. And, you know, well, what happens next? <clears throat> so that's probably the next question, kind of what you're talking about, Daniel, do you answer this? Yes or no you know, is there a spirit within me that exists within, you know, this physical form of who I am, right? That's another quintessential question that we tried to address on the podcast at different times too, right? You could answer it yes or no, but, you know, depending how you answer it, it'll probably change your life, right? I think it's kind of like, I mean, I don't have kids, Eric, you do, you know, it's like you see your children and at different points in their life, fine, they're growing, they're developing, but at all points, you can notice aspects of yourself and their mother in them, uh-huh. you know, and your mom can say the same and her mom can say the same, you know, and it's sort of like this, it's, just, that it's, it's there's some essence that's been passed forth that is continuing to be passed forth and yet they're their own being. So this is the way that I look at it. There was a, there was a, uh, a beginning at some point had to be, you know, so therefore we're still carrying forth in our own way that, you know, forward progress, I guess you could say. I had like, uh, I'm tangenting a little bit, like you were both going to say what we think, right? Mm -hmm. So I had like an old high school friend that I saw over the break. We actually like probably weren't even as close in high school as maybe we've gotten to be a little bit closer uh, more lately. Like we know each other better, you know, uh, remaking contact. It doesn't matter, but you know, we were talking and, and uh, this subject matter came up and she was very definitively like, uh, no, there's nothing. After death, there is nothing. There's no spirit. There's no nothing. That's it. That's my answer. And I was like, okay, cool. So she answered it very definitively. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, but that has like an implication to it. Right. Once you say that, well, then, you know, you've changed your possibility of what's possible. Right. You know, where I think like I answered that different. I answered that yes, you know? So who knows the answer, <laughs> but our lives are going to look different. They are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe, uh, and, maybe, uh, maybe we're just a little bit more of 
gamblers? Well, I don't know. I mean, like, again, if we talk with Robert Thurman, Bobby T, yeah. he kind of frames it like, why not? okay, you can roll on this either way. Why not? Right. Why not? The worst <laughs> downside. Yeah. The worst thing is you're going to be a nicer person. Congrats. You know, yeah, the worst thing <laughs> you is you'll do some meditation. You'll probably calm down your brain, your white matter in your brain will thicken and you'll just feel better about shit. You know, yeah, it sounds good to me. If that's the worst, <laughs> sounds that good. Happens. That's yeah. the worst thing that'll happen. Yeah. Yeah, but there's this really interesting question on the uh, shower curtain of wisdom that we sometimes reference that's sitting in the bathroom across the hall from where I'm recording. <laughs> and the shower curtain with all these quotes on it. And one is from the great French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. And I think I mentioned it maybe once before on the podcast or something. It says like, life loses all meaning once you lose the delusion of being infinite. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, he's being a little ironical because he's saying right. it's a delusion. But, you know, like to me, what the fuck? You might as well go for it. And I, I answered yes, but it's certainly true that life is going to look different, you know. And then you know you're going to find different thing interest. You're going to find different things interesting for sure, like narcissism. Right. You know, you're going to find it interesting where maybe otherwise you wouldn't find it interesting. All right. So, uh, all right. So the uh, uh, how does spirit spirit enter matter? This is the answer in narcissism. All right. So now we got spirit and matter, but the idea is it's sort of stuck so the idea is that you want to sort of try to free these spiritual sparks this is a pretty common theme so later on when we talk about narcissism we'll look at things that are similar and different with other sort of spiritual philosophies and things like that because that's a gnt thing to do but the next part of the story is this thing called the logos and this is where spiritual teachings and teachers enter into to try to like spread this enlightenment so it's almost like sophia comes as wisdom into the world you know, to uh, bring uh, wisdom and enlightenment. And then also this is where you get these great spiritual figures. And this is kind of like the Gnostic, the Gnostic part of this tale where there are spiritual teachers and spiritual teachings that come in. And on that note, I thought I would propose a little quiz. Maybe this is how we'll end the episode. <laughs> we can end it on a cliffhanger. Why not? We're not gonna, we're not gonna talk about freeing the spiritual sparks? Oh, we'll, we'll do it. Okay. We got a follow-up episode. We're not even like, right, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here we go. Maybe the way to end it is to say right. who said who said these things. Who said let's, these things? So get, get is this multiple choice or or uh, fill in? This is definitely fill in the blank. Dude. Got it. All right, perfect. Much more interesting fill in the blank. Maybe you'll answer it by the end if you feel like you want to. But I'll give okay. you some quotes. Okay, right. I've done this in class. I've actually done this in class where I'm going like, who do you think said these things? Who mm -hmm. are these quotes attributed to? So here we go. Drum roll for the spiritual quiz. Mm -hmm. Not even a quiz. It's just something to think about. Okay, so here's the quotes. Quote number one, on the day when you were one, you became two. But when you become two, what will you do? It's not Dr. Seuss. That sounds like that might be Dr. Seuss. It's not. <laughs> not the correct answer. Okay, number two, when you make the one into two, and when you make the inner like the outer and the outer like the inner, oh, sorry, when you make the two into one, sorry, when you make the two into one, and when you make the inner like the outer and the outer like the inner, and the upper like the lower. And when you make male and female into a single one, so that the male will not be male and the female will not be female. When you make eyes in the place of an eye, a hand in the place of a hand, a foot in the place of a foot, an image in the place of an image, then you will enter. Quote number two. Quote number three. If you bring forth what is within you, what you have will save you. If you do not have that within you, what you do not have within you will destroy you. 
that one I particularly love. All right. Should we leave it on the cliffhanger? Or should we say who did no, it? No, hell no. Leave it on the cliffhanger. Okay, that's our cliffhanger. We'll come back next week. <laughs> yeah, we don't give answers like that. Let them look it up, you know? <laughs> think about it for the week, maybe. That's interesting, like, because I've asked it in class. I said, who do you think said it? And it, like, no one ever, I don't know if anyone's ever answered it. Mm. Ever I'm teaching. I'm teaching I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't answer it. Um, no, but like, you know, because I'm teaching in the Chinese medical school, right? TCM, traditional Chinese medical stuff. Your natural thought would be an Asian philosopher, but it's not an Asian philosopher. Mm. No, no, no. It's not a Buddhist. It's not a Taoist. Somebody else. Who could it be? It's not Dr. Seuss. Not Dr. Yeah. Seuss. And it's not Mike Tyson. It's not Mike Tyson. Though he says a pretty articulate shit too. He does. So. He really does, actually. Yeah, he really does. Yeah. All right. So we'll let, we'll let it roll, right? We'll pick we'll up on this it, next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it on the cliffhanger. My God, we've never done that before. Are you kidding me? Yeah, we got a new thing going. We got <laughs> jerks who leave episodes unfinished. <laughs> yeah, uh, real good uh, motto. Oh, well, you know. Anyways, yeah. Eric, thank you so much for um, for presenting today. And, yeah, thank uh, you, Daniel. Sharing in conversation, conversation. And, and, and open thought, open dialogue, if you will. And uh, thank you to our audience, of course, as usual, as always. We do appreciate everybody here. We appreciate the feedback always, you know, as I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, like, subscribe, share, leave us a feedback. And you can, uh, you know, five star us on various podcast websites, actually, that you know that I know some people listen to us a lot through Apple and Spotify, but there's a few other ones. So if you haven't um, smashed that subscribe button, you know, and, and uh, give the give the thumbs up five star and, or a review, also helpful, share with somebody. Um, you can hit us up uh, through email at gin and tantra at gmail.com or you could slide into our dms on the gram at gin and tantra for eric this is daniel we do appreciate everybody listening we'll catch you in the next one peace to get together. I want you to get together.